Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 383. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey, hi. How's it going? Not well. Oh, no. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> uh, you know, it's the thing. Yeah, it's a tough it's life now. It's tough, you know? It's just <laughs> tough. It's so bizarre and awful. Well, fortunately, the uh, the car show has ended here, so none of the none of the loud car noises anymore. You know, it went and it, it felt like it was never going to end. It felt like it was never going to end. And they ran, been they ran they through did, my yard know, too. Ended up moving there. They, oh, nice. Yeah, they I knew that was going to happen. They drove through out? my yard. Did you burn out? No, there? no. Fortunately, they didn't. But our neighbor sent us a message and was like, hey, I'm putting up stakes around the property. Do you want me to you know, put stakes around yours, too? They drove through our yards last night. And I was like, what the f***? All right. Uh, there's a comedy for you. Make that movie. <laughs> you decide if, if there's a pandemic, man. You decide to move from New York to Mississippi. And then you get there and there's just a perpetual car show on your property forever. It's like that the entire length of the pandemic. It's like that comedy Neighbors starring Seth Rogen where the the frat yeah goes yeah. next door. Classic comedy Neighbors. That's right. Uh, this week on the show we'll be talking about Jim Cummings' latest The Wolf of Snow Hollow. We'll also be going over some watching on the watch list and new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, don't really have any housekeeping bits. We are in the process of prepping our Halloween specials for both this show and Save by the 90s, and I'm very excited because we have some lineups, we have some themes, and we have a bunch of movies to watch, so very excited for that, so stay tuned. Those are always my favorite. The Halloween specials on both podcasts are always my favorite. Yeah, you get to watch a bunch of horror. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty amped up about yeah. this year. I think the the themes. I think the themes for this year are really good too. I think the only thing that could come close to it is if you had a, like, if you, you know, once a year did a special about like rock dots on punk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I told I told my wife about that that one that's coming out this week that quiet. Uh, white what white riot i almost said quiet riot white riot and she's like how is it that you seem to find these these punk music documentaries like every week there's a new one and you watch it <laughs> i love it let's talk about the wolf of snow hollow i have a synopsis here as i said this is written and directed and starring jim cummings terror grips a small mountain town as bodies are discovered after each full moon losing sleep Raising a teenage daughter and caring for his ailing father, Officer Marshall struggles to remind himself there's no such thing as werewolves. This recently screened as part of Fantastic Fest, and I believe that it also had its world premiere at Beyond Fest this week. So lots of uh, exciting premieres for this. And now it's on VOD, so you can rent this on amazon or wherever your preferred vod platform is now i have a review for this up on the site i think that i've made it known several times on this show and on the website that i'm a huge fan of jim cummings i I loved thunder road the thing about thunder road was like i had no idea really what it was going into it i didn't see the short film so it was completely new to me and after i saw thunder road i was just like blown away i was like this is a revelation it ended up on my top Ooh. 10 that year. So big fan of his. I have a review up on the site. So we'll start it with you, Kevin. What are your initial impressions of the Wolf of Snow Hollow? Before I get into that, it's, I still can't believe I have not seen Thunder Road. Because I did see the short film like back when it came out. I think it was on like No Budge or something. And I loved it. I loved that short film. But for some reason, I still have not watched the, the full length. The feature line. I definitely need to get on it. Definitely. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe just because I've seen the short film, so I'm like, hey, you don't have to build on that. 
But, you know, getting to the wolf is no hollow here. I was a little bit slightly disappointed. It's not really the movie's fault. This was more so of me being like, you know what? I could go for a comedy, you know, like a slight comedy with some werewolves. And I thought it was going to be more on the werewolves because of the title would lead you to believe that, you know, this is chock-a-block werewolves or something. Or just at least more action with the werewolves. But this is more so just about a cop that's uh, like a piece of shit. And it's just that for much of the film. It's just him being an asshole to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which I mean, it, it does a decent job of that. I'll give it that. It's just, I, I guess, it was, again, it's, I don't know why I keep doing this with movies, making these expectations. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to watch movies anymore. I think, I think that's you lost problem. it. You just lost it. I don't, I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just like I'm putting, I'm putting too much into things, you know, into like art and media. Like it's too much, like, I want him to be things because like I need like comfort or something or just like an escape. And then they don't offer me that fault. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just coming back to that. I don't think I know how to watch movies anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) uh, so it is, it is sort of a genre mashup. There's, there's a lot of comedy elements in it. There are horror elements. There's mystery elements. It has a little bit of, a, I would say, maybe like a Fargo, like a Coen Brothers vibe to it. And it, there's a there's a certain mystery aspect of it, too. You know, people are ending up dead. People are being brutally murdered by this supposed werewolf. And, you know, these sort of, this sheriff's department is trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. They're clearly out of their league. And then you have Robert Forrester, who this is his final role, unfortunately, but he plays the sheriff. He, his health is beginning to fail. So he's not really able to take point. So his son played by Jim Cummings, uh, John is his name. John Marshall is sort of taking the lead on this. And like you said, like he's not a, uh, super likable character but i find him to be incredibly funny he's if you've seen thunder road he's very similar to his character in thunder road where he plays this sort of tortured cop who the stresses of life are just bearing down on him so hard that he i mean the the whole movie is just him systematically breaking down like his his emotions just continue to break down further and further until you know he gets to his final breaking point and hits rock bottom. And I, I just, I love the way that Jim Cummings handles people in turmoil like that. Like I find it to be like, it's, it's pathetic. Like his characters are often pathetic, but they're also like, it's, it's also funny. It's like an awkward comedy, but also kind of sad too. So I really love how he handles his characters. And I think that, you know, you you have a lot of really interesting, colorful characters in this. Ricky Lynn Holm is in here too. She plays one of the sheriff's deputies and she's sort of, she's really the only one who is actually able to do like serious detective work. Everyone else is so (laughs) incompetent that she's the only one actually doing anything. So anyway, I I really enjoyed this. I really liked the the nice blend of of comedy and and horror. Uh, I thought that the the whole mystery aspect of it as to like who the werewolf was, I thought was uh very very surface level and I felt like they could have gone a lot deeper with the mystery aspect yeah. of it. Like that that was the biggest I- letdown for me was how how it all turned out as far as that because it's set up to be this sort of it's just set up to be a lot more um involved than yeah what it turns out to be i think that's what disappointed me a little bit because there it starts off relatively well with the mystery and you know 
as the as the victims, you know, begin to pile up, it seems like it's fully invested in that, and that's where you know the main focus is going to be. But then it kind of it does that shift and it goes down that different avenue, which is him just being stressed out and yelling at people, mostly just screaming at people to do their job, and you know, being being an asshole. Which I I didn't mind, but I just thought that that kind of overtook because it, it it really felt like that took the main focus. We really didn't do anything with the werewolf until the end, and then we just kind of wrapped it up a little bit. Just I would I, I maybe just like a more of a balance there. Mm-hmm. I think I would have been I would have been fully on board. I think it's really- I, I mean as as it stands, I still enjoyed the movie. I think like. I think the the best thing here is the script. It's it's quick, mm-hmm. it's snappy. You know, this movie has a nice pace to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love the dialogue. All the, all the dialogue. This is a very quotable movie. I think Thunder Road. You can say the same thing. Where you know, it, there's certain lines in this that I think you could easily just recite over and over again. That are just so funny and so witty. And I, I really loved all all of that. Um, I, I, I think that a movie like this, that, that straddles so many genres and has so many different elements in it, I think it's tough to balance all of that. And I think for the most part, it does a decent job of balancing it. Uh, certainly the, I think that the horror and the comedy, you know, there's not a situation where one overtakes the other. I think maybe it leans a little bit more on the comedy side or even like the sort of a dark comedy side where maybe not everybody finds this man, (laughs) this man's emotions being dismantled is funny, but I found it to be funny. Um, So I think that leans a little bit more into that territory than the horror, but when there is, there is, you know, a sizable amount of people getting ripped apart by a werewolf in this. So yeah. 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 I think it does a pretty Definitely decent job of, of balancing that again. Uh, I'll just reiterate. I think that the, 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 the mystery layer is where it is a little bit lacking. Fortunately for me, the other elements sort of made up for that, that lack of mystery. And although I was a little bit bummed where, where it went and how they wrapped that stuff up, the, the actual like finale like what it turns out to be i found to be kind of refreshing like i i liked the climax and where it went even though i didn't feel like how they got there was necessarily compelling the way that it turned out i thought was yeah yeah i did enjoy it i did enjoy the ending where they ended up but i agree with you the way that they got there a little, you know, kind of like an afterthought thrown together. I think the only the thing that gets me too is like with the the focus of Jim Cummins, uh, it's Officer Marshall, you know, breaking down and just being stressed out by not a whole lot. Like it doesn't seem like he had a lot of stress in his life. He just seems like 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 a just the, even the smallest bit of him having to do something. <laughs> Him, like, him having yeah. to do his job. Just like, well, yeah. well, he, like all of a sudden it was the whole world was on his shoulders, which I did appreciate uh, how he, how he kind of created that character where, you know, this police officer is just, he's just awful person, just terrible. Um, but the comedy aspects, I did, I did enjoy them occasionally, but I think that this is something that, I don't know if I've kind of like outgrown or maybe like years ago I would have really been into is that like mean spirited comedy. Cause mm-hmm. again, most of the comedy just comes from him being like really awful to people. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I thought that it was mean spirited. I mean, I guess I can, I can see that like him just being a dick, but oh, <laughs> I don't know. Like for whatever reason, I just didn't, I just didn't see that. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I he was he was a dick, but I, I guess maybe I f- felt some sort of sympathy for him, which sort of diluted that. Like, 
this is a, this is a guy who's just struggling in every avenue of his life. I mean, he he's a recovering alcoholic, so that's always a struggle. Then he is dealing with the stress of his job, which you know this is this is a very sm- it takes place in a really small town, a small like mountain town, and they just they don't have murders there. So this is like a whole new thing, and he's trying to become sheriff, and he's trying to care for his dad, and he's trying to deal with his ex-wife and his his daughter who's getting ready to go off to college and just the the weight of the world is like just crushing him and i think that that's that's where the the sort of pathetic comedy comes into it and yeah i don't i don't i don't know if i found the comedy overall to be mean-spirited i mean he's a dick but I do love the the location of this movie. Mm-hmm. The whole setting of this movie is fantastic. I really I like, think that really helps. I, I I agree. I, I liked it too. I liked the little town a lot. I love the you know the scenes. I love movies that take place in these small like mountain communities where like everybody frequents the same diner and and everybody knows everybody else. I, I love movies that that have that setting. And I really yeah. liked uh, the editing in this too. I thought that the editing was quite good. And I, I liked that he, every time there was a victim, he spent an ample amount of time with that victim, setting it up. Like it wasn't just some like, you know, nameless face that got killed. It wasn't just like a random person who we don't have any kind of connection to. Like he actually spent time setting up this character and allowing us yeah. to, to know them a little bit before they get killed. And it, it, it added a lot of weight to, to the death. Like it wasn't just a, you know, a throwaway scene that allowed for, you know, gave us an excuse to move the story along and give us a little bit of uh, horror or gore or whatever. I yeah. really liked how they established that, like the, uh, the couple at the beginning and the, the uh, skier and all of that stuff. I thought that that was a really uh, good idea. And I'm glad you brought up the editing because I would have forgot to mention that. But I I thoroughly enjoyed the editing of this movie. Yeah, I thought it was just really well done. Yeah, the way it cuts back, mm-hmm. back and forth, done really really well. Yeah, this is, this is definitely a movie that I could see myself coming back to, rewatching, and just enjoying it all over. I mean, Thunder Road was the same way. I watched Thunder Road several times and that's a movie that I can really enjoy. Comparing the two, um again, like if you if you liked Thunder Road, if you liked the the character that Jim Cummings played in Thunder Road, then this is this essentially the same character. They're dealing with many of the many of the same things. The the reasons behind the stress may be different, but the outcome is essentially the same. It's both movies have a police officer who is on the verge of a nervous breakdown, essentially. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly how Thunder Road is. It's very, very similar, which, you know, I'm, I don't look, look at that as a negative. Like, I'm perfectly fine with that. I could, I could use more of that. And I can't wait to see what, what Jim Cummings has, has in store for us next, because I think he's a very, very talented, multi-talented um, performer. And the thing that I kind of forgot that uh, this movie brought back to me is that I forgot that he was like a part of that Ornana mm-hmm. collective yeah. with Danny Madden, which is just wild to me. I don't know why, but just the, you know, a, you know, a filmmaker from the Ornana collective being relatively big. Because it seems like he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's a phenomenal actor. Like, even if even if he decided to do more like acting roles, uh, I mean, I think that when you see him in Thunder Road, like you're just like, holy shit, this guy is the real deal. Like the 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 way that he's able to express extreme emotion, like just on a you know on a dime, just able to swap and change his emotion like that. Like, I think that he's just very, very talented. And, uh, I, I hope to see him 
making more movies in more movies like it. I just want to see more more of him. It's <laughs> just need, need more Jim Cummings in your movie diet. Yeah. Oh, I just I just I was just looking at his IMDb and I see that he was a production assistant for Captain America the Winter Soldier. <laughs> it looked like he it looks like he was a PA for uh Industrial Light and Magic. How about that? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Very interesting. What's what do, what do we have here next? Oh, it looks like his next movie's already been announced. It's called The Beta Test. What did he's making? Yeah. Gotcha. It looks like he's starring in it too. Or he, at least he is in it. Is he playing a cop? I hope so. <laughs> seems to be. <laughs> seems to be. Uh, I mean, I I doubt it. I bet he he probably doesn't want to like pigeonhole himself into that type of role. That would be, it would be very interesting to see that happen. Is it he, you know, becomes typecast into the role of a police officer that's kind of like a shitty person, but that he's the one that's facilitating that pigeonholing. <laughs> like, has that been done before? I Maybe. When you I, typecast yourself over, <laughs> and over and over again. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Maybe something tells me with with his next movie, he's not going to be a cop, though. It's just I just have a feeling he's not going to do that again. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> uh, all right. Any final thoughts on the Wolf of Snow Hollow? Um, no, I don't think so. All right. Uh, yeah, I definitely recommend it. This this was uh, really really a joy to watch for me. Uh, in my review, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Kevin, what are you thinking on The Wolf of Snow Hollow out of 10? Yeah, I'll give it like a six and a half, seven. There you go. Solid recommendation. Uh, again, that, it, that is on VOD right now, so check it out. Perfect Halloween movie to get, get into the Halloween spirit. Uh, I, I keep thinking of something from this movie. It makes me laugh a lot, which is just the, can you stand to your normal height, please? Or to your full height? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) But just the delivery of that line. Yeah. You could stand to your full height, please. There was a, there were a lot, a lot of lines in this that just made me laugh. Him, him asking the guy to take a hacksaw to the payphone and just do your job. Uh, Just. Love it. Love it. All right. Let's talk about some of watching. Uh, I think it's my turn this week. I started the week off with David Byrne's American Utopia. This is part of the New York Film Festival. Uh, this, well, this comes out on HBO Max, I believe, next week. I think so, so, like Saturday or Sunday, Friday, some, somewhere around there. But it's coming out very soon. Okay. Uh, this is the filmed version of David Byrne's Broadway show. This is directed by Spike Lee. And I don't typically like concert documentaries. And this is a Broadway show, so it's a little bit different. I guess I could say the same thing about recorded Broadway shows. Just not super into them. Uh, but mm-hmm. I really, I really loved Stop Making Sense, which was the, you know, the Talking Heads documentary. And I was, I, I liked the music of David Byrne. So I was kind of interested in this. And then plus you have the, the, the direction by Spike Lee. So I was like, all right, yeah, sign me up. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of positive things. Yeah. And I loved it. Uh, it was just, this is a really tremendous experience. Like, uh, I think it's the only movie this year that actually made me tear up. Mm, that might be a lie. There might've been an, a couple other ones, but this one definitely evokes a lot of emotion, really, really powerful show. And the way I think that Spike Lee coming into it added a lot to the, to the visuals. Um, I think that it was a pretty, pretty good idea to bring in. I think it was David Byrne's idea. I think he approached Spike Lee and was like, Hey, do you want to do this? And Spike Lee was like, hell yeah. So, a really good idea. 
highly recommend it. Even if you're not a huge fan of the Talking Heads or David Byrne's solo stuff, I think that you will still get a lot out of it. And I mean, the performances are incredible. Like the talent on stage is just, I can't recommend it highly enough. I mean, I'm at sort of a loss for words on just how much I loved it. So it's one of these like kind of, it's one of these like feel good movies that it, it makes you feel like there's there's still good in the world and that we can sort of recover from this slump that we're in this this horrible nightmare that we're living like there's still hope and i think that that's one of the big takeaways from this show is that like even though we're at a very dark hour there's there's still a light at the end of the tunnel there's there's still something to hold on to and i think that it's kind of interesting that like david byrne does get he does get very political in this in this show and he does make sure that we all are aware of the the horrible you know atrocities that are happening in this country but he does so in a a respectful yet still sort of um hopeful way where we can like where he's acknowledging that yes there's a lot of work to do but we we can do it together and i think that it that's just it's just a really incredible experience i think contrasting this to stop making sense i think jonathan demi he shot like a pretty standard uh concert film like jonathan demi was very matter of fact like it was a pretty standard you know it, the the thing that makes stop making sense incredible is the performance in the show itself. Whereas with American utopia, you can see like Spike Lee's sort of signature on it, the way that he used 11 cameras for this show. So there's like cameras everywhere. There's like, you know, lots of really crazy like zoom ins and stuff. It's just uh really, really good. And I, I highly, highly recommend it. Excited. Were you? Are you like? I, I don't. Are you into the Talking Heads? Are you into David Burns stuff? Uh fucking obsessed. Oh, okay, cool. Love him. I I specifically did not listen to the American Utopia album because I wanted to go into this like as cold as possible. Like I didn't want to know like all the songs going into it. Yeah. So that was that was sort of one of the exciting things for me like and he does there he does play a lot of um talking head songs in this not a lot but several talking head songs the biggies are in this yeah and the those ver the versions that he does and and plus it should be noted that this is all performed live so there's no this isn't like pre-recorded it's not playback it's not ad-libbed um dubbed it's all performed live and it's but the the crazy thing is it it sounds like it is playback because they're so good you're just like damn like it sounds like they're it's a recording but it's not it's just, yeah. it's just incredible he's been doing it for so long i mean That's i think I, but i think like the th- that goes to the the other performers in in his band too cuz i mean there's very complex instrumentation happening here like a lot of different instruments being used and they're like everything's wireless so you have like the guitarist the bass player and they have wireless packs so they're able to take part in the choreography too like while they're playing it's just (laughs) i can't recommend it highly enough i I just talking about it i just want to watch it again and experience it again (laughs) it's so good it's always a good sign yeah it's always a good sign Yep. When you're talking about it, you just want to stop talking about it and watch it again. Absolutely. Uh, which is not going to happen with the movie I'm going to talk about, which is The Comedy of Terrors from 1963, directed by uh, Jacques Tourneau, which I did not know going in. I didn't know that he was the director. But uh, this has a stacked cast. All right. So you got Vincent Price as the main character, Peter Lorre, Boris Karloff, Basil Rathbone. They're like titans in this movie, right? And then this is like a, as you can tell from the title, it's kind of a hard comedy. And uh, it's okay. It's kind of mediocre. 
I mean, really what you're here for is the cast and rightly so because Vincent Price, what Vincent Price does in this movie, one is he's really hammy. He's just, he's, he's having, he's having a ball, right? And the character that he plays, he's, he's an undertaker. He runs his funeral parlor and he's drunk all the time. He just wants to drink. That's all he wants to do. And business isn't good. So he starts killing people in order to get business up and running. So mostly just so he can buy booze and he hates everyone. So all this movie is for the most part is Vincent Price being really hammy, drunk, and just very eloquently uh, telling people off. Like he's just, he hates everyone. But he, of course, he does it with a you know very uh, flowery language, you know the high end stuff from back in the day. Mm-hmm. This isn't your you know this isn't your your dime store stuff that you got nowadays. This is thespian mm-hmm. takedown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, if you're interested in that for like 84 minutes, uh, yeah, you should watch it. And it's got a great cat. There's a great cat in this movie. Oh, nice. Which I, which I found out is like a very, very famous cat. It's been in a lot of movies. So now I gotta, I gotta go down that wormhole. Gotta check out that cat's filmography. Yeah, apparently this cat was a big deal. It had a, it had a movie. It was just it, like he was the star. You don't, you don't see famous animals anymore. You know, like back in the day, like Benji and Lassie, like there, there were famous animals. Yeah, but now, now you don't really have like the Frasier dog. Maybe was pretty famous for a while. Yeah, that. Yeah, but now it's like humans don't want to share the spotlight with anybody. Yeah, what the fuck, man? Selfish pricks. All right, uh, and that is uh, comedy of terrors. I saw. So I'm. Uh, I covered the Nightstream Film Festival this weekend. It's a uh, sort of a collaboration between a lot of different genre film festivals across the country they're like sort of the mid mid-tier festivals they got together and presented this weekend of uh fun and frights a lot of really impressive lineup actually the opening night film was uh called run which is directed by anish giganti uh this is the same the guy who did searching which came out uh, i think in 2018 uh, if you remember that one, it was the one with John Cho and he, it was the screen life one, the one that took place on a computer oh, screen. Yeah, yeah. I really liked it. It was really good. Uh, this one is okay. Uh, it, this is more of a conventional thriller. There's no computer screen stuff going on in this one, but it's about a, a, t- a teenager who is, she's in a wheelchair she has had a a lot of health problems because she was born very very premature so she's got a, a horrible, tons of tons of health issues and uh Sarah Paulson plays her mom and the 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 young woman played by Kira Allen she f- discovers that her mom might be poisoning her so we might be dealing with a uh Munchausen's by proxy situation here it's not called mm-hmm. that anymore by the way it's called um oh really no it's not called it anymore it's called fictitious what's it called sorry i want to i want to like i want to get this right because i don't want to fictitious disorder imposed on another yes that's it fdia fictitious disorder imposed on another. that's that's what it's called so she believes that her mom may be suffering from that so it starts off as sort of a like a like a mystery thriller where she's trying to not only not let on to her mom that she that she's that she made this revelation but also like try to protect herself and then gather more information about what her mom is doing. Um mm-hmm. and first of all, I want to say the casting of Kira Allen. She does an incredible job in this and the fact that they, the filmmakers decided that they wanted to cast someone who is in a wheelchair in real life in the role, I think that that added so much to it. And I think that this is a movie that Ryan should absolutely see because I think that it 
it really does a great job in representing uh, people with yeah. disabilities. In fact, it might be the only like, it might be the only movie I've ever seen where the the lead the lead actor is in a wheelchair in the movie and then also in real life. Like th- that just never happens. So it's, I, it's very it's very rare. Yeah. So props, major props to them because not only not only did they do the right thing in in the casting choice, but she's incredible in it. Like she, she, this is her first role. Apparently she's done some theater work before this, but I mean, she just kills it. She's so good in this same with Sarah Paulson. I mean, I think that this is probably Sarah Paulson's best role that she's ever done. Uh, the amount of emotion and just the fact that she plays this like psycho mom, uh, she just nails it too. So there's a lot of really great set pieces. The, the whole thing with the main character of Chloe is that she's, um, she's sort of a budding engineer. Like, so she's always tinkering with things and, and crafting like different devices and mechanical things. So that plays heavily into some of the set pieces where she, she figures out ways to essentially escape from her mom after she figures out what's going on. She's very bright too. This isn't a situation where she like sees something strange, but then like shrugs it off like as soon as she sees the first sign of something not right, she immediately dives into it and like never gives her mom the benefit of the doubt. Like she, she just instantly is like, okay, well clearly my mom's trying to poison me. I got to get out of here. So it's, it's, she always makes the right decisions. And I, I, I found that so refreshing in a movie like this, because when you're 17, like you're inherently suspicious of your parents. Like that's just how it is. And the fact that she, uh, so immediately was just like, I got to get out of here. I got to get help. And then there's another great scene with like a postman. I'm not going to give it away, but Pat Healy plays this mailman. And like, he makes the right decisions too. Like you think that it's going to go one way because every other thriller ever goes this way. And it, it doesn't, it goes, it goes a different way. Um, the, the big sort of thing that brings it down is the fact that so much of this movie happens at the convenience of the plot. Like there's, there's like, there's a scene where she finds this box full of evidence and causes all of these, these like revelations. And it's like, why would that box be sitting out just for her to, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that happen in this movie that are just so convenient. Um, and it's a very predictable movie too. I, I said that there, it does a lot to go against sort of thriller tropes, but the overall like arc, like you just know where it's all going. And, and I predicted the, the end, like the final scene, I predicted it like very early on. So yes, it is, it is very predictable and there are a lot of sort of almost expository things that happen in it that are unfortunate, but I think that it's still well worth a look. Uh, and I, I had a really good time with it despite those sort of small, uh, gripes. I have a full review for this up on the site to a written review. Okay. Right. Again, that's called run. It comes out November 20th. Okay. All right. Uh, I watched, uh, Wes Craven's debut 1972's the last house on the left oof oh boy yeah this is a this is a a rough one yeah this is a tough one this is a real tough one uh the only it is it is a tough one but there's also like it it wasn't as bad like the subject matter is terrible and disgusting and it's just i mean it's depraved it's a depraved movie but the actual like on screen like what you're shown is somewhat tame. Like a lot of it is not shown at right. all. Compared to something what like uh, compared to something like I spit on your grave, like the, yeah, this this is done in a more respectful way, slightly. Yeah, <laughs> you just like they they let you know what's what's happening or going to happen. They don't show it, but you know that it happened. You know, it's that type of thing. And it, like the violence is. You know, it's 1972, so it's it's not like it looks realistic or anything. You know, this is kind of 
just kind of low budget, you know, what we're dealing with here. But overall, I thought I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And I think that that much of that comes from the fact that it's not like overly like the on screen violence and stuff isn't isn't overwhelming. So I was able I was able to, I guess, enjoy it more. Enjoy is like the worst word for what I'm I know what you mean, though. I know what you mean. Uh, Filmmaking aspect of it, I enjoyed like the look of it, the grittiness of it, the the characters themselves. Uh, I thought all of that worked. I think it kind of captures this bizarre point in America where you have those kind of like the same thing with Texas Chainsaw Massacre where you have this uh, confluence of like the hippie generation and like just all out crime just kind of converging together and everyone was just terrified at that like it seemed like mm-hmm. you know every single white family in suburbia or like out in the sticks or whatever is just terrified of cities and just people like everyone's going to die and be murdered. People are going to break into your house. So it kind of, of course, plays into that. And then everyone just becomes a killer. Yeah. Which I did not see that. I did not see that coming. Would you know where this movie goes towards the end? Mm. That was kind of surprising. I did not see that coming at all, really. Yeah. And which is weird because it kind of turns into like this home alone type situation, which I did not know. <laughs> I didn't know that that was... That was a thing. Yeah, didn't he? You didn't know that Home Alone was inspired by Last House on the Left from 1972. Well, this is another thing too, where I don't know why, but Last House on the Left, I went into it absolutely cold. Number one, I didn't know that it was Wes Craven's debut. Uh, number two, I didn't know what this movie was about. I just knew that it was kind of you know a, a classic, as as they say. And judging from the title, which is really the only thing I knew about this movie, I thought it was a haunted house movie. So again, I don't know how to fucking watch movies. You, like I was really confused. Well, you must have been in for a shock with this one. Well, I mean, the thing is, is if that's cleared up pretty quickly, that I was like, okay, I can I can rearrange my expectations here. <laughs> mm. I was like, okay, this is not uh, this is not a haunted house movie. I, yeah, I, I do recommend checking out Last House on the Left. I think it is a horror classic. I, th- I think it definitely constitutes as as one of the classics. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting movie, especially filmmaking wise too. All right, uh, I saw kind of an interesting one, although I wouldn't classify it as any any kind of classic by any stretch. It's called Dinner in America. This was another. Nightstream movie. Uh, this also played at Fantasia Fest, and I wanted to see it back when we were covering that. I just didn't have the time to fit it in. This is directed by uh, Adam Raymeyer. It's a sort of an unconventional love story. It's about this um, punk rocker played by Kyle Gallner, and he is kind of on the lam. He's wanted for setting fire to someone's house and he ends up hiding out with this uh, young woman played by Emily Skeggs and it turns out that like she's completely obsessed with him uh he's he's in a band and the, the thing is like he kind of conceals his identity when he's on stage so nobody really knows what he looks like or his real name so she doesn't really know that it's him that he's the guy that she's obsessed with and the two sort of fall for each other and it's a it's a really kind of a strange dark comedy uh there's this like sort of undeniable charm about it it's a very abrasive movie it's sort of going like full on like full force pretty much the whole time it's a very loud intense movie i really like the music in it too um it's got this really really cool uh, I believe it's an original score, but really good music. Uh, and I don't know. There's just something something about this movie that I, I really liked. I didn't know it was a love story going into it, but uh, I had a really good time with it. I can see this as being a movie that a lot of people are going to be 
a lot of people are going to be just too uncomfortable with or just not going to it's not going to work for them but for me uh i just was sort of sort of taken with these characters as odd as as they are again that's called dinner in dinner in america and uh definitely recommend checking it out i couldn't really place the time period that this took place and i think it's the 90s judging from the lack of technology the clothes and the way that the cars looked i believe that it takes place in the 90s but i couldn't be sure uh, I rewatched the Mothman prophecy. Oh man, love, me. love me some fucking Mothman. I love Mothman. There's a new Mothman movie coming out. Um, oh, for real, it's called the Mothman Legacy. Oh man, what? Who's making that? Give me all the information. Give me all. The uh, apparently, me it's all the it's the final mm-hmm. entry in a, in a trilogy. What the fuck? So, yeah. Oh, I got a lot of. Oh wait, is it a documentary? It's a documentary. I think it's a documentary. It's oh man, a, a trilogy documentary. Oh, I got a lot of off man <laughs> stuff to get to catch up on. That's pretty great. Uh, well, Mark Pellington's movie from two thousand two with Richard Gere and uh, Deborah Messing, Laura Linney, Will Patton. Uh, it's not that good. I don't. I mean, no. there's a part of me that enjoys it because it's Mothman. So of course I enjoy it. But this really, and and even more so because I started, you know, rewatching all the X Files. This just feels like a like a knockoff X Files episode. That's all it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But with worse people <laughs> in this <laughs> world, instead of Fox Motor, you're stuck with Richard Gere. Which no, thank you. I don't know what it is. I just don't like Richard Gere, and I'm just—I don't understand how he was like such a thing. Why he was such a big thing? Like he has no personality to me. Like to me, he just has like no charm, no charisma. Like he's just a Manila folder. I think he's—he's good-looking, and that that helped his career. I know, but it's just like were there not. Was there like a dearth of good looking <laughs> with like a little bit of charisma? Just a touch. I don't know. Maybe that's just him as an actor. Because <clears throat> he's not really a good actor. All of his characters are the same. I like that and one that, he was you know, in uh, Arbitrage. I think he was good in that. Yeah, but he, yeah, he's like the same guy though. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like always the same guy I would I would go through his filmography in order to see like if he did anything like kind of out there or different but I couldn't do that to myself I fall asleep immediately I don't think he really has done anything crazy different I feel like there's something hidden in there you know what I mean Mm -hmm. there's some movie that he did, like he just turned in a, a spectacular performance, and no one liked it back at the time, and now it's just lost in the sands of time. Maybe. Fucking Mothman prophecies. Watch it if you if you're really into Mothman, because it'll give you some good Mothman. Yeah, so, yeah. It's just you got to deal with Richard Gere too, which is unfortunate. Well. Segwaying from uh, insects, the last one that I'll mention is Mandibles. This is directed by Quentin Dupio. Uh, I imagine that I imagine that we're going to be talking about this at some point. Right. <laughs> at some point, yeah. uh, in a in a full review capacity, uh, because we yeah. tend to always review the Dupio stuff. Because I, I frankly think that he's one of the most creative and unique directors working today. I think that this movie is no no exception. It continues that trend. It's about these two two dudes who f- steal a car, and f- in the trunk of the car they find a giant fly, and mm-hmm. they 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 decide that they're going to train this fly, and they're gonna yep. they're gonna use this fly to to earn the money. Now, what transpires is you know it's. 
I don't even know how to describe mandibles. I, I just don't. I mean, more than what I just said, I like I, I don't know how to to further get into this movie. First, I'll first I'll say like the two guys in it are so funny. Uh, they it's sort of like the dude. The main guy reminds me of the dude, like he's that type of character. Or uh, uh, Harry, what's his name? Harry Dunn and Lloyd Christmas from Dun and Dumb and Dumber. Okay. Or Bill and Ted, like that. That's those types of characters. Uh, they do this really. F- they did this really funny thing. Uh, maybe I don't want to give it away, but they do this one thing like all the time, and it's just so funny. Um, the The only thing that I'll say about it, first of all. I pretty much loved it overall, um, but it's only 77 minutes long. This movie is so short uh, that mm-hmm. by the end, I'm like, is that it? That's all we're, that's all we're doing, huh? That's, that's it. That's all you're giving us. It needed, it needed a, a, an entire uh, final act. Like this movie doesn't feel done. Like it's just, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it just ends and you're just like, that's it. Come on. Like, Give give me more here. Like the premise is so good, but what happens? You're just like, I need more out of this movie. Uh, so that's my biggest gripe with it is that it is far too short. That what you have here is good, but they needed, but but Dupio needed to expand on it because what we're left with is like a movie that just doesn't feel like it was finished. But the fly is incredible. I loved, I loved the fly. Her name's so her name's Dominique. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and I love the poster love too. It. I mean, that poster. I, I didn't, I didn't look, I didn't see the poster until last night after I, f- I watched the movie, <laughs> and I was just like, that's the most incredible. amazing, most amazing poster. <laughs> uh, but I mean, this is. You know, Dubio just released uh, Deerskin this year. That Deerskin came out earlier this year, and this guy is just cranking them out, and they're all just—he—he's just getting better and better. Now, to be clear, I didn't think that this was better than Deerskin, but I, I would also say that this is his most accessible movie to date. Um, even though the premise is pretty wild, it's a very accessible comedy. Like it, this isn't this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't go like off the rails, so I can't wait. I'm so goddamn excited. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about mandibles more when it gets a a proper release. Hopefully, you know soon. All right, let's take a look at what we have on VOD this week. Tuesday today we have the Second Son. We have the more you ignore me. There's a com. Is it a comedy? Yeah, it looks like a comedy. Story about love, family, and Morrissey. So mm-hmm. there you have it, Morrissey. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. It's a shame that he went on went on nutty. Uh so many people have been doing that. Yeah. I mean I still like the Smiths, but you can't help but think about that when you listen to him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And we have Monster Force Zero. Is there a tagline on this? Nope, no tagline. Damn. We have The Dance. We have When the Summer Fades. Bane, Holding These Moments. Rock Doc about the hardcore band Bane. Oh, it's about the villain. <laughs> the documentary about Bane's life. <laughs> mm. In Case of Emergency, that's a documentary about, I believe, nurses. Uh, maybe it's just about ERs. Could, could just be about ERs. We have... Okay. Uh, that one's on the 14th. And then on the 15th, we have Bullets of Justice. Yes. Starring Danny Trejo. The tagline for this one is, Oink, oink, motherfucker. <laughs> In the post-apocalyptic uh, aftermath of World War III, an army of half-human, half-pig super soldiers takes over the world. 
It is up to a group of human rebels to destroy them and liberate humankind. Oink, oink, motherfucker. Then on, on the 16th, we have monochrome, the chromism. <laughs> the world in color for the first time. Monochrome. Chromism. Chromism. We have Shithouse. It is a, a comedy. We have The Opening Act. It's another comedy about stand-up. Mm, thank goodness. There's some good people in this, so I don't know. We got Love and Monsters. D- the Devil Has a Name. Got a lot of people in that one. About oil oil drilling. Oh. David Strathairn is in there. He's like a farmer who... Like they, they they start drilling for oil next to his farm and it starts ruining his crops and stuff. Uh, Based on true story. Flame, flame water. Yeah. Got Don't Look Back from the creator of Final Destination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. White Riot. This is a documentary about the Rock Against Racism concert, which was like known as the Punk Rock Woodstock in England. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll probably check that out because it seems like something that I would watch. Uh, Martin Eden, that's going to be a virtual theatrical release. Uh, we have She is the Ocean. A woman is like the ocean, a true force of nature. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you have yeah. that. That's about it for yeah. VOD. Let's take a look at what we have on Blu-ray. There's the Friday the 13th collection. This is a big box set. 12 movies. All of the Friday the 13th titles are included in this one, including the the remake, which was the latest one. I can't remember when that remake came out. 2009, I think. Mm. I'm trying to find the original. 1,306 minutes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wowza. This This is a really compelling box set like i'm i love friday the 13th so i might have to pick that that up i've been waiting for like a huge box set that has all of them for a while yeah well here you go here's your moment yeah uh requiem for a dream 4k is coming out as is district 9 we have deep star 6 from 1989 the pledge from 2001 terror in the isles from 1984 Motel Hell from 1980. That looks like some kind of steelbook edition. It's coming out. Yep. It's a 4K remaster. It comes in a steelbook. Let's see. Warning from Space from 1956. That's an Arrow release. Mm. Dominion prequel to The Exorcist from 2005. Remember there was like a... That whole thing was was really strange. Uh, the, The... Exorcist prequel, how there were two of them. Remember that? No, no. Yeah, there's some. I don't remember that shit. Yeah, there was some like weirdness with the Exorcist sequel. Like, like Paul Schrader did this one, and like they didn't like it, so they like re redid it. Very strange. It looks like the Friday the Thirteenth movies are also being released individually. So if there's just like one of them you want, looks like you can pick them up individually as well uh okay happy happy joy joy the ren and stimpy story that's a documentary obviously about ren and stimpy that's on amazon for rent uh let's see that, that's about all i see for this week what about criterions oh we got one and it's a big and it's claudine from 1974 john barry i'm very excited for this to be in criterion didn't you just talk you about this, like, not too long ago? Not too long ago, yeah. That's because, like, for the longest time, you couldn't really watch this movie. There was, like, one DVD that was, like, okay quality. And then I finally, because I was waiting and waiting and waiting for, you know, some sort of restoration to happen or for it to show up on streaming, never happened. So I finally just bought the, you know, the low-quality DVD and then it was like a week later, Criterion announced that they're going to be putting it out. I was like, of course. Of course <laughs> so that's why. That's why. Okay. All right. Uh, I forgot to mention that Mallrats 
is coming out. That's going to be another Arrow release. So Arrow's releasing 1995's Mallrats. Okay. I stand by Mallrats. I still like that movie. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a moment, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. That would be very helpful. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. 